Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. How many of you have ever needed a second chance? One of you, a couple of you back there. See one hand over here. Um, How many of you believe God is a God of second chances? I believe he is too. Uh, Some of you may be in a tough spot right now. Maybe it's because of your own making and you think, how can God ever forgive me what I just did or what I've done in the past? Maybe you didn't just do something. Maybe it's something you did in your past that you won't let yourself off the hook for. But you've asked forgiveness for, but you don't feel forgiven. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it's something that you've carried around like an albatross on your shoulders thinking, God can never forgive me of this. And some people don't even ask forgiveness from God because they think it's a, in vain because he could never forgive me for X, Y, or Z in my life. Some of you maybe have done some atrocious things in your past, maybe not so atrocious, maybe they're just atrocious to you, but you know they weren't up to snuff for what God expected in living a high and holy life. And maybe you've begged and pleaded God from time to time, please just take this burden from me, take this weight off my shoulders, forgive me. And if you sincerely have that repentant heart, guess what God has done? He's forgiven you. But the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. We struggle with letting ourselves off the hook. But a part of forgiveness isn't just forgiveness of others. It's also forgiveness of God. Sometimes God gets a blame for things that he didn't do. And sometimes he gets a blame for things he did do, even though his ways are perfect. But some of us don't like God's perfect ways, and so we scoff at him. But the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Have you forgiven yourself? Have you truly believed the God of second chances is willing to give you a second chance and a new start? Last week, we looked at this passage of scripture from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And if you remember, the Israelites had been wandering not very long in the wilderness. They had come out of Egypt through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, as some of your scriptures translate. And they had come into this region known as the wilderness of Negev, which is just south of Israel today, if you were to find it on a map. And they're standing there, million, uh, over a million of them on this on this, in this area of the wilderness. And they're told to send 12 spies into the land. If you remember from last week's message, the 12 spies went for 40 days and explored the land. They brought back produce from the land. One of the uh, items they brought back was a cluster of grapes. It was so large they had to carry on a, a, a pole between two people. And when they came back, the report was the land is amazing. It is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. That's their way or euphemism or metaphorical language for saying it's awesome. It's not really flowing with milk and honey. It's just a pretty awesome place. But then they noted something significant. There are these people that live there, descendants of Anak, or Anak. They're huge. We looked at them, they looked like giants compared to us, and and we look like grasshoppers compared to them, and they thought we looked that way too. They're like, oh, you're little people, aren't you? You know, that's kind of how I'm picturing it. How do do they know the the people there thought they looked little? It's probably, oh, you're little. You're a little fella, right? (laughs) Anyway, they come back with that report. The 10 spies, 10 of the 12, came back and said, there's no way. There's no way we will ever be able to take the land. It's beautiful, it's amazing, but the people there are too big. God has led us out here, and so is Moses to die in this wilderness. Was he expecting our our families to be slaughtered? But two came back, 
Specifically, we note Caleb in chapter 13, but chapter 14 tells us it was also Hosea or Joshua, whom the Old Testament book of Joshua is named after. They, two of them came back and said, no, I mean, yeah, the people are big, but God is with us. We can take the land. He's led us here not to slaughter us, but to give us a hope and a future. But the 10 stirred up the people so bad. Have you ever had people stir up other people negatively or maybe stir you up negatively? Have you had somebody in your life that is so negative that has sucked you into their negativity that you feel yourself sinking down with them? Have you? We all have people like that in our lives and we, we like to limit the amount of time we're around them. We call them VDPs, very draining people. We have VIPs in life, very important people, very inspirational people. But we also have VDPs in our life, don't we? Very draining people that suck the life out of us. They're worse than vampires, right? They don't have to suck blood out of your neck. They suck the soul out of your body <laughs> because of their negativity. I will. I've had, listen, I'm a pastor. You don't think people are negative to me? <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> no, everybody has a positive story to tell me. Nothing ever negative. Uh, just kidding. I, if, listen, I don't want to scare you away. If you need to talk about something really heavy and burdensome, <laughs> I, you're like, I can never take anything to him. It's negative. So I could, it just says, that's not what I'm saying. Come talk to me. I'm just saying there are people that not only come and talk to you once, twice, but every single time it's something negative. And the question I have for those people is, where's the Lord in your life? See, God is a God of possibilities. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of glory and might and power and splendor and wonder and love and mercy and forgiveness. That does not sound like negativity to me. It sounds like something pretty positive. Do you think heaven is going to be negative? Let me ask that again one more time. Is heaven going to be a place of negativity? No. Definitely not. You're not going to get up there and go complain about your neighbor next door because guess what? Your neighbor's going to be perfect. <laughs> They're not going to be blowing leaves back on your lawn because there's none of that stuff to have to deal with. All the leaves just disappear. <laughs> but you, get, you catch my drift. I am really going way off tangent here. <laughs> so we get to this point. The ten spines come back. It's really a negative report. They begin to stir up the rest of the Israelites. And the rest of the Israelites get royally ticked off. And they start to believe the negative report and not the two positive reports that came back. How often is it that the negative report seems louder than the positive report? And so the people get angry. And it says in chapter 14 of the book of Numbers that they started to rally together to stone Caleb and Joshua. And that doesn't mean with marijuana. <laughs> All right, I just have to translate this from ancient, ancient times to now. They literally were going to take rocks and kill them with them, okay? So when you hear me ever hear me say the word stoned, it means that. All right, I just make sure you're on the same page with me. They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb and quite frankly Moses and Aaron and those who had led them out to this place because they thought they were going to be killed by the giants, the Canaanites that lived in the land. And did you know, in chapter 14, we get this picture of God who says, I'm done! For a little over a year, I have been with these guys and ladies. I have carried them through. I've showed them miraculous things. I don't, what do they want from me? And God says to Moses, literally, I'm done. I'm going to wipe them out, stand back. And Moses, I'm going to start over with you. I'll make you into a great nation. Your descendants will inhabit the promised land. And that's how I'll do this. 
And Moses has a moment of compassion. And he says, God, um, the Egyptians will see that you led the people out here through these mighty wonders and, and miracles only to kill them. And they'll say, what kind of God is that? What kind of God would lead his people only to be slaughtered in the middle of the wilderness? Don't give them fodder for negativity against you. Please don't wipe these people out. And if you're going to, you might as well wipe my name out of the book of life too. So Moses intercedes for the people and God recants or it says regrets the decision to even do that or repents of that decision, believe it or not. Some of your translations say that. It means he changes his mind. And he says, okay, I won't do that. But I tell you what I will do. They're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. For every day that they went into the promised land and explored the promised land, I'm going to make a year for every day they, they, they went into there. And they're going to have to wander out here until a generation of them dies off. Anybody that's 20 years of age and younger will get to see the promised land. But those who have bickered and complained that are older than 20 years of age will be the ones to die out here in this wilderness because they didn't believe in me and what I had to say and that my promise was true and good. Only Joshua and Caleb, who were over 20, will get to see it because they were the two spies that came back with a positive report. Now, that's where we left off the story last week. Um, and then we flash forward 40 years. How many of you can flash forward 40 years from your past, right? Now, flash forward 40 years. Think back to 40 years ago. Where were you? What were you doing? Well, now they have to flash forward 40 years. And this is where we pick up their story today. Moses is still alive. Joshua and Caleb are still alive. But all the other people over the age of 20 have pretty much died off in the wilderness. It has now come time for God's punishment to end. And guess what? He comes to this new generation of people, tells Moses it's time. And Moses then instructs the people, you guys are getting ready to enter the promised land. And this is a, a reminder to you from 40 years ago. When we tried to do this before, it went really poorly. Do not be like your ancestors were. Do not be faith, a faithless generation. Believe in what God has promised you. Step into all that he has for you. And don't bat an eye of negativity. Do what he's called you to. Do you trust him? And so this next generation gets a second chance. Read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 4 is where we pick up this passage of Scripture today. And if you aren't familiar with this, we've been going through the Bible in a year with the Bible Project uh, reading program. And uh, this is about where we should be in our reading. And so you, you may be, find some of this familiar at this point. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting with verse 32. I'm getting some feedback, so... Listen up, uh, Deuteronomy 4, 32 through 40. Now search all of history, Moses says, from the time God created people on the earth until now and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God declared or dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, and strong hand, powerful arm, and terrifying acts? He's talking about the plagues of Egypt and leading them out that way. Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your very eyes. He showed you these things so that you would know the Lord is God and that there is no other he lets you hear his voice from heaven so he can instruct you. They are the one generation of people, the children that are 20 years of age and younger, and their ancestors that heard this from Mount Sinai, God giving his direct voice to the people, not through Moses, but directly from the Mount of Sinai to the people, giving them the Ten Commandments verbally that Moses brought down on two tablets. He spoke before you. He lets you hear his voice from heaven so that he, construct you. he could instruct you. 
He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it, the pillar of fire by, day, or by night and the cloud by day. Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants. And he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. He drove out nations far greater than you so he could bring you in and give you their land as your special possession as it is today. So remember this and keep, firmly, keep it firmly in your mind. What's he telling them to do? <laughs> Don't forget what I'm telling you today. Because what are we prone to do as humans? Forget. Or conveniently forget, even though we know the answer. Remember this and keep it firmly in your mind. The Lord is God, both in heaven and on earth, and there is no other. Is there any other God? No. There is only one God over heaven and earth. Now, this word heaven is actually two has actually two different terminologies. The heavens that they talk about in the Old Testament are oftentimes those things outside of the reach of the dome of earth, which is the atmosphere of our globe. The heavens where the stars and the sun and the moon reside. But there is a heaven a place where God resides in his holiness. And that is a place we were destined to design for the very beginning of time. But God is God not only of the earth, but of the heavens and of heaven itself. If you obey all the decrees and commands I'm giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. What's he saying? If you obey everything I'm telling you to do, it'll go well with you. How many of you have, have people in your life, parents specifically, said, if you obey me, it's going to go much better for you than if you don't, right? Yes, maybe you had parents that told you that, guardians that told you that, grandparents that told you that, or you are a parent yourself of children and you say, listen, there are rules. If you obey those rules, it will go well with you. If you don't, you're going to wander in the wilderness right the wilderness of discipline if you obey all the decrees and commands i'm giving you today all will be well with you and your children i'm giving you these instructions so that you will enjoy a long life in the land the lord your god is giving you for all time what is he saying what is he what is his desire for them what is god's desire for the people of the promise that they will enjoy the rest of their days doesn't say they won't have hard times, they won't have struggles, but he wants them to enjoy the rest of their days. What is our theme for this year? Joy. The theme for 2020 at North Main Street Church of God is clarity through joy. Clarity through joy. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy rises above the circumstantial. Happiness is temporary but joy is eternal joy is a fruit of the spirit meant to be produced in our lives and to be produced it takes something on our part doesn't it if we are the vessel through whom joy must come through what does a plant have to do to produce fruit it soaks in the water the nutrients from the ground and it produces fruit it doesn't just sit there by osmosis or any other process and expect to just pop out a fruit on one of its limbs. You have to work diligently to produce love and to produce joy, to produce peace. See, I think this is one of the misnomers in the church. You come to church and we'll get everything we need and all will be well. What happens outside of these four walls when you leave? Is it easier or harder outside of these four walls to produce fruit? It's super hard, right? How do you produce joy in a seemingly joyless situation? How do you produce joy when your family's falling apart? How do you produce joy in a workplace that is sucking the life out of you? How? It's possible. It's only possible through Christ Jesus. For it's through him that we have the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So here we go. Here's the key point this morning. If you fall asleep after this, I'm sorry. 
The amazing grace of God is revealed all throughout the Bible. And this is truly something about which to rejoice. Why, is, why do I have that as the key point this morning? Because even when the 40 years of wilderness, 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 wandering in the wilderness ended, what did God do? He allowed them another chance. That's something to rejoice about. God gets a bad rap in the Old Testament. Oh, I can't believe in the God of the Bible because he's a wrathful, mean, and hateful God. Well, at least I can't believe in the God of the Old Testament because all he wants to do is squash people and hold them under his thumb and be mean. But it's because you have closed yourself in with blinders to only see a part of God's nature in the Old Testament. You see, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the psalmist tells us. Well, how do we know that? Because if you look with open eyes, you can see in the Old Testament grace, forgiveness, love, and mercy. How many times did God give his people an extra chance? Once? Twice? Three times a lady? No, more than that. He kept giving them chance after chance after chance after chance. But what we see when we read through the Old Testament is not, we, we see like, oh, this is just in a couple days' time. He gets ticked off after a day. We're missing centuries and millennia in the context of Genesis all the way to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. We read it in a linear fashion, but it's meant to be read in such a way as to see the breadth and the depth of God's patience and love and mercy. Yes, he gets frustrated, but in his perfectness, he gets frustrated to the point of judgment, and judgment is good in a good and holy God. Because if there was no judgment, what would happen? Chaos would ensue, you're correct. And this is one of the things, we don't like to hear judgment. Right? That is one of the no-no words in our society today. And that is one of the words the church gets labeled with all the time. The church is just judgmental, judgmental, judgmental. Actually, the church that's truly living by the word is going to shine a light on what's wrong. And when things that are wrong are illuminated by the light, what happens? People feel they're, they're being judged. But, but that's what truth does, is it illuminates what's wrong. And it's not an act of judgment as much as it is, hey, this is wrong, it needs to be right. This is what Jesus did when he came onto the scene in the New Testament, the first part of the, uh, the first century. He begins to walk and talk and show people not only how to live, how to love, but what to do. He shows people how to live a full and abundant life under God the Father. Who did he rely on the most? God the Father. Who did he go away to be with often? God the Father. We have a hard enough time praying for a minute over our food. He would walk away and spend a whole day in prayer on a regular basis. And he was constant communion with the Father, no matter where he was or what he did. He says, I can do nothing except by the Father. He, Jesus, the Son of God, very God in the flesh, could do nothing apart from the Father. And he was crucified for it. <laughs> he was crucified for telling the truth, for being the truth. People who are not living the truth hate the truth. Let me say that again. It's, it sounds condemning, but I want you to hear me for what I'm really trying to say. You, when you're not living the truth, you hate the truth. Okay? And this is what that looks like. You know the right thing, but you don't do it. And then when somebody preaches on a stage or talks to you in a small group or one-on-one -on -one and they're revealing to you the truth of your current situation that might be a wedge between you and God, then you start to get really puffed up and defensive and angry because you don't like the truth of what they're saying. You're just being judgmental. And then we throw up these defenses and these blocks, even if it's said in the utmost love and care because of concern for you. You see, this is the tool of the enemy. The greatest tool of the enemy is to cast dispersions, to get people to throw off the truth and not listen. 
See, I believe there's a God of second chances who uses people, godly counsel, his scripture, his holy word, everything to speak truth into people's life. There are people that don't do a God, good job of speaking the truth. They sometimes come at it with a hatchet and try to bludgeon you to death. I, do, I agree. There are people that don't come speaking the truth in love. And those people will have to stand and account for that someday. But you have to walk this road carefully. If you know the truth of a situation in somebody else's life and you withhold it from them, careful. Why do I say that? Because the Holy Spirit may be nudging you to say something. I know there are people that have left this church for lesser things, but people who nonetheless have been talked to about a situation in their own life that want to be leaders in the church, that want to hold a position of authority over others, but their lives aren't lived, not perfectly, but in accordance with God's will and purposes. They're blatantly living in sin. This is what happened to the old generation that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And we can look at that and say, well, that was super harsh. Why was God so mean? How many times did he give them within the wilderness? A year's worth of time where they're complaining about the food, they're complaining about the water, they're complaining about the living conditions. God was patient. Longer than most of us would have been. But what does God do? He says, listen, I want you to be with me. I don't want to have to discipline you, but when I do discipline you, it's because I love you. Have you ever seen spoiled brat kids that are never disciplined? Their parents give them everything under the sun. They don't correct their bad behavior or their selfish behavior. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you were one of those kids. I don't know. Those undisciplined children have a really hard road to hoe when they are older because they've been given everything in life up to this point without any guardrails, without any boundaries, without any truth of the situation. Oh no, you're a winner in everything. Reality is a good thing. Boundaries are a good thing. And when God gives us boundaries, it's not to hurt us, harm us, or punish us, or to make us feel guilty or bad. Boundaries are there for protection, which is the first point. God is powerful, mighty, and intimate. In God's mighty, powerful intimacy and all of that together, he wants to show us how much he loves us by establishing boundaries. Why do you think he gave them a law on top of Mount Sinai? Don't have any gods before me. I'm the only God. Don't take my name in vain. Don't... Dishonor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's wife or donkey or anything else your neighbor has. I didn't put that in the same, hey, you read it for yourself, it's in there. I didn't make this up, so don't, don't get me for that. Don't bear false witness. All of these things were not to make the people feel like, oh gosh, seriously, I love adultery. It's amazing. You're such a killjoy. Oh, I want to murder somebody. God, you're just ruining my fun. I mean, these are pretty much undeniable truths, whether you have to be told that or not. But he was establishing for them, don't do this. Do this instead. And it will go well for you. How many of you know that not committing adultery makes your life much better? Am I correct? There's a temptation to do that. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks or is horrible, and you think, oh, it's so much better. This person knows me much better. They love me much better. They see in me what the other per my wife doesn't see in me or my husband doesn't see in me. And you start to get sucked into this trap. Yeah? And you think it's just in your fantasy mind, you think it'll be so much better. 
And then you find yourself after committing the act of adultery in a wilderness of your own making. Maybe it's not adultery. Maybe it's some other sexual sin. Maybe it's not any sexual sin. Maybe it's gossip or lying. Maybe it's addiction. And you find yourself sucked into a wilderness of wandering. And there's a God who wants to show you his power and his might that he can lead you out of that, that he can give you a second chance. But right now, you're living with the consequences of your own actions. It's not because God is trying to heap amount of, of punishment on you. It's that you technically put yourself in a place where you're being punished because of your own actions, because of your doubts or your fears. What is God... What is it that God wants for you? And that's a question you should ask yourself. God, what do you want for me? What do you want for me? What do you want from me? Maybe you've asked that in a moment of frustration. What do you want from me? Do you really know what he wants from you? You see, he's given us not just clues, but blatant truths as to what he wants and desires of us. I've mentioned this multiple times, and I said this in my class this morning that I was teaching. The first word in our discipleship process here at North Main Street Church of God is to know him intimately. You've heard me say this over and over again, but it bears repeating. The word know in the Old Testament is called yada. This is where we get the Seinfeld episode, yada, yada, yada. All right? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is true. Yada means to know intimately. It doesn't just mean to have head knowledge. It means to have all knowledge. Did you know, again, I don't mean to be crass, but when Adam knew Eve, they begat children. Do you know what I'm talking about? They use that in the sexual way. But in the, in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, it also says that God yadahs us and desires for us to yadah him. This is not sexual. This is he wants us to know him intimately, heart, soul, mind, and strength. How, do we, how should we love God? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That is the greatest commandment. The second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He not only wants to, to yadah him, but to yadah each other. Not in an eros kind of love, but in an agape kind of love. A love that is unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless. You cannot know true joy apart from that kind of love. Because God first loved us that way. That's what he desires of you, to love him and to love others. It's pretty simple if you put it into context, but it's difficult when you have to do that to somebody who's unlovable. But haven't we ourselves been unlovable at times? Which leads me to the next point. God is loving and giving. God is loving and giving. We read this passage from Deuteronomy. We're reminded of the power and the might and the intimacy of God, but we're also reminded of how much he loves and gives. And he continues to love and give. Somebody, somebody asked, I mean, this is one of the key components to, to the faith, is why was I created? Why were humans created? Why do we even exist at all? I think we exist, actually I know we exist, because God's all loving. And what does love do? It creates. It creates opportunities to love. It creates and gives of itself opportunities to show love. Love is not a word that we speak only. It's not an emotion that we feel though feelings accentuate love. Love is something we do. It is something that encompasses every aspect of who we are and digs down deep into the core of who we are. That's only how we can know Christ intimately, is to love him completely and to love others completely. So how is God loving and giving? He's reminded, Moses is reminding the people of Israel this next generation that's getting ready to come into the promised land, God loves you or you wouldn't be here. Do you hear me? 
God loves you or you wouldn't be given a second chance. God loves you or you wouldn't be standing right at the edge of the promised land yet again. Now, 40 years later, you would be wiped out of existence. What do we do with that? Maybe you are at the edge of the wilderness at this point. You've been wandering in your own wilderness of doubt and frustration and anger, and you're frustrated to the point where you're ready to give up. And God says, there's a promised land right over here. The people look big. The land is great. But your own self-doubt is keeping you from stepping from the wilderness and into the promised land. How many of you have self-doubt? Don't raise your hand. If you want to, you can. It was a rhetorical question. What is self-doubt? Well, you may have been breathed into your life from childhood on. You're not going to amount to anything. You're no good. Maybe, maybe that wasn't your story. Maybe, maybe your parents or your guardians or your grandparents breathed into you life. But somehow along the way, somebody tripped you up and said, boy, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You're never going to amount to anything. And, and you, you take that seed of doubt and it becomes planted in your heart. And because the soil of your heart is fertile for that kind of doubt, you allow it to grow. Have you ever had an insecurity before? I think we've all struggled with insecurities, right? Those are seeds of doubt that the enemy tries to plant in our hearts. And more often than not, those seeds of doubt never get plucked up at an early stage through Christ Jesus. You know this enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you hear me talking about all the time? You know the best way he does it? Doubt, insecurity. This is why Jesus asks his disciples all the time, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? You know why he's asking that? It's because he knows the enemy has planted a seed of doubt, a seed of insecurity, a seed of destruction in your life. And you've believed it. Some of you have believed it your whole lives and it's become so ingrained as a part of who you are and your personality that to be rid of that seed of doubt and insecurity would make you feel weird, to say the least. Well, I can't get rid of this. This has become my identity. If your seed of doubt and insecurity has become your identity, then I would question how in the world are you a child of God? Now, I'm not doubting you are. But if, this, if, if Christ has come to set you free, doesn't that mean he's come to set you free from everything that is negative, unholy, and sinful? And who are we to say that we, as the creation of God, who were knit together in our mother's wombs, we are fearfully and wonderfully, who are we to say that we are not good enough when God has said, I love you enough to die for you? That's a good question, right? You may not feel it, but it's true. And sometimes it's not about feeling one thing or another as much as it is taking an active step forward into God's grace and mercy. And allow God the Father to be the gardener of your life rather than you try to be the gardener of your life. John chapter 15, the Father's a gardener. You remember this story? Jesus is the main, main vine. And what are we? When we become believers in Christ, we become the branches. And he says, when you're tied into me, you're going to produce fruit. But if you don't produce fruit, what happens? This is a hard truth. We don't like to, if you're not producing the fruit, what is fruit we're talking about? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we're not producing fruit, any good gardener knows that if a tree or a vine isn't producing fruit on this one branch, that branch gets cut off so that the rest of the nutrients in the vine can go to the branches that are. Any dead branch gets cut off too. 
God is loving, he's giving, he wants nothing more than us to be tied into who he is and all he is. The problem is we don't believe that we're worthy to be tied into the God of all creation. And a lot of times we allow our self-doubt and insecurities to, to make us die on the vine. What would the church look like? And I'm not saying the physical structure. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, the people who believe in Jesus and have surrendered their lives to him. What would they look like if they were producing fruit? Every member of every church producing fruit of the Spirit. What would that look like? Would there be any hungry among us, literally or spiritually? What, what would that look like in the Butler community if every church in our community was living out the calling on each of our individual lives and each of our lives as the body of Christ? There would be something miraculous happening in Butler. And this small little rural town of Butler would shine so bright that the rest of the nation wouldn't be able to not notice. And it wouldn't be because of Brandon or North Main or any other church in this community. It would be solely and completely because of God the Father in heaven through the power of his Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, what else does God desire of us today? He desires for us to enjoy a long life under his protection and provision. Moses reminded the people of God's desire for them to stay with him. Even after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he says, I still love you. I still care for you. I still want you to be my people. I think it's interesting how much flack and blame people put on God for their own behavior, don't you? I come across people who profess a faith and believe in God and uh, they don't live lives that bear that out. And no, I'm not going to go around and judge. You're going to heaven, you're going to hell. That's not my role. That's what it means to judge. Do you understand that? There is a judge. It's not Brandon or no, nobody else in this room. There is a judge and it's God in heaven. He is the one whole perfect soul judge. Can we judge a person based on the fruit that they bear or the lack thereof? Yeah, we're told in Scripture we can, but it's not the same kind of judgment. The kind of judgment God gives is whether or not we go to heaven or hell. Does that make sense? And because God is perfect and God is loving, even His judgment at the end of time on those who have chosen to reject Him all their lives, He gives them what they desire, and they desire to not believe in Him. Now, don't think that He joyously tosses them into hell with a football punt. Like, woohoo, there they go. No, I think he does that, and he understands that as a part of this painful process of judgment. Because judgment does mean sometimes you have to say no. But God, his very nature is being a God of love. He wants people to come to him. Come to him. He, he doesn't want us to continue to wander and seek and search for what? For the next great thing or the next high or the next, you know, whatever circumstance you find yourself being tempted with that leads you to believe there's something better on the other side. You see, God has given us the best better there ever was because God's best is the best the world has ever known. But it's interesting to me that people, many, many people don't give in to God's best. They'd rather live with mediocre. Does that not strike you as strange? That people would rather live with mediocrity than with God's best. And go all the way back to the, New or the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, after each day he said it's good. And I've said this before, God's good is best. There is nothing better than God's good. And God said the creation of humans was very good. The creation of animals and the crea everything was good. The only thing that wasn't good in Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve decided to break the command of God. 
and we continue to eat the forbidden fruit. And again, that bitter fruit that we eat comes from self-doubt, insecurity, and temptation. But God is not a God of temptation. He's not the one who leads us astray. It is our own evil desires, James says, that sucks us into this because we think it's going to be better if we do this. Even Adam thought it was going to be better if they took the fruit. Even though God said, don't do it. And we have our own fruit of temptation. And God wants us to enjoy a long life. He wants us to enjoy a good life in spite of the sin and death in the world. But the only way we can enjoy the best life God has for us is not by the name it and claim it or, 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 or the prosperity gospel stuff. The best life we can have in Christ Jesus is by surrendering every desire and want to him and finding joy in the journey. Let me close with this. Shortly after the 9-11 tragedy, some of you weren't even around during that time. You weren't born yet, but 9-11, 2001, uh, that shook the United States to the core. A woman by the name of Betty Maxfield, and I did verify the story. This was, was, in, the, um, was in the newspaper back in the day, the Chicago, Chicago Tribune. Betty Maxfield ended up surviving the plane crashing into the Pentagon, and she was really close to where that plane crashed in. And she says, for all intents and purposes, she shouldn't be alive today. But for whatever miraculous purpose, and we know the miraculous purpose, she's still around. Listen to what she says. In the Chicago Tribune, she said, I should have been dead. We were all, for some reason, saved. My question now is, what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with the fact that I'm still now here? There's a lot of regret for those that come through a tragedy like that saying, I should have died. Why did this person die and not me? And so they start in this weird progression of just struggling with self-doubt and, and all of this stuff. Well, why wasn't I taken? And they were. And she's going through this. She says, I... At this point, though, I just can't let my life go to waste. I thought I was living my life well before, but obviously there's more that I can do to say thank you for my life and the second chance I have at it. If you're here, you're breathing, you always have a chance to change for the better. No matter how much you tell yourself you can't change, no matter how much you've been told you can't change by other people, you have an opportunity and you have a choice in the matter and no one can hold you back but you. God is a God of second chances. He leads you as far as he can and desires for you to take the step. It's not until Moses put his staff in the sea that the waters parted. It's not until the priests set their foot in the Jordan River, when Joshua was leading them into the promised land, that the waters parted. Do you see what happens? God says, I promise you I'll be with you. I promise you I'll be with you. I promise you I'll be with you. I want to lead you out of this. I want to lead you to something better. But I can only show you how to get there. You have to take the step. Do you get that? See, God's not going to overtake your body and make you like a robot step into his grace. It has to be you. And some of you who are believers in Christ have been waiting on the edge of the wilderness for so long. You've wandered in the wilderness for so long. You've said it's somebody else's turn to take the baton. If you are still living and you still have breath in your body, you have a purpose in this life. What are you waiting for? Why don't you live the best life he's called you to live in the world around you? No matter what the news says, no matter what the TV says, the papers say, the radio says, the world is in chaos, but your life doesn't have to be. Have you found yourself tired of trying to do things your own way only to come up empty-handed? As our worship team comes to close this out today, I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself the tough question. Is there a seed of bitterness, self-doubt, or insecurity in my life that has held sway over me for too long? Maybe it's time to let the master gardener begin his masterful work to create within you a clean heart 
and to renew a right spirit within you. Maybe it's time you let him come in and cultivate the ground of your hardened heart. Maybe it's time to let him to come in and chop away at the roots of those seeds that have been planted there for way too long and he wants to plant his perfect holy seed of love and joy in your life. Maybe. But it's up to you. Maybe you've gone to this church since you were born. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. Maybe you've sat on the sidelines, you've watched as the church has gone through ups and downs, has served, has not served, and you're just standing on the sidelines because you think, well, at least I'm going to church. And he's saying to you, yeah, I love you, and I love you too much to let you just stay there. Would you stand with me as I close? Father, you can only lead us so far till we have to take a step. That's not just Brandon's teaching. I know, God, that you've shown us that through your Holy Scripture. You pull out every stop for people except for the last one. You've even given us your son. What more could we ask for? Forgive us, Father, forever doubting you, forever doubting ourselves, forever doubting who you created us to be. Remind us that you're a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, a hundred chances. Because otherwise we wouldn't be here right now. The world would not be existent. But your will isn't that anyone would perish but receive eternal life. And remind us that as much as you love the world, you love us because we're part of the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.